been in these really awesome, fast-moving chapters of Acts 18 and 19. So I'm going to um, take us to the end of chapter 19 today. Um, If you did not watch Jonathan Dunn's teaching on Wednesday morning, I really urge you to go into Latterain.com, look at the archives, and find Jonathan Dunn because he just brought a lot of context to the way Paul is moving around from place to place and the conclusion of the second missionary journey. And then before we know it, we find ourselves in the third missionary journey. And he just gave a lot of understanding of Paul's movement. And it was it was very, very good. So I told him it's going to be hard to top that one today. <laughs> but since we're not in competition, that doesn't matter, right? <laughs> I'm going to talk today in Acts 19, beginning with verse 23 and going all the way to 41. And it's what I call the Christian theme park. And you, may, you, I, you will understand what I'm talking about by the end of this message, hopefully. The Christian theme park. So Paul has settled down for a while. For Paul, it's been quite a while. He's settled down in Ephesus for two years and has had tremendous impact there. <clears throat> we read in um, verse 9, 10, and 11 of chapter 19, But when some were becoming hardened, no wait, yeah, when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the multitude, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So he had a powerful thing going on in Ephesus for two years. Ephesus is a major city. Um, It is a grand city. I've been there three times, and it is so impressive. Even today, with the archaeological um, digs and remains that are there, you can see what a beautiful and grand city it was. It was a center of commerce and religion, Streams of people came in and out of the city. Um, It was a major ship port. There's this major highway that leads up from the port into the city. And people came. They were converted by the word and by the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. And then they began to spread the message of the way every direction throughout the province. It says, all in Asia heard the word of the Lord. So, um, like I said, Ephesus is just very spectacular. It was considered to be one of the seven wonders of the world at that time. And as you go through the, the main street of Ephesus from top to bottom, you see these, the remains of these grand government buildings because it was the capital of proconsular Asia. So people came there to do government business and make law. Then you see the area that is uh, the mansion (laughs) district, lavish homes. Uh, You see baths everywhere. You know, that was part of that culture to just go to these um, spas and baths. You see temples. And then as you come down past this library, which is one of the best preserved things today in in Ephesus, and you turn right, (laughs) you come to the great theater, which seated depending on what you read, at least 25,000 people. And that theater is going to play a major role in our story today. So Ephesus ranked right alongside of Rome as a leading city 
of the Roman Empire. And um, <clears throat> so let's go on and see what happens to Paul and his companions <laughs> after they've been teaching and miracles. Like we said, we want to go back to first century Christianity, right? And you never get to do it without some trouble. You don't just get extraordinary miracles being performed and people being converted. You also always are going to have trouble. <laughs> Amen? So let's see what happens to Paul and his companions starting in verse 23. And about that time there rose no small disturbance concerning the way. I think that's an understatement. <laughs> a very large disturbance concerning the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with, God, with hands are no gods at all. And not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship should even be dethroned from her magnificence." <laughs> So he does throw in there at the end that, oh, we didn't want, don't want our great goddess Artemis to be dethroned, but he reveals his total motive at the beginning, that his motive was greed, the love of money, not necessarily um, Artemis, and she's the greatest in the world, but he stirred up the crowd using religious propaganda, and it worked. He speaks to the craftsmen, look, we're losing all this business, but the, the kicker, the thing that brought it home was he used religious propaganda. <laughs> now, who is this Artemis? Um, she's called Diana also um, by the Romans. She was considered to be the mother goddess of fertility. There were goddesses of fertility everywhere, but she was the mother goddess of fertility. So she was worshipped in many forms in all of Asia Minor, and like all the other goddesses of fertility, she was served by prostitute priestesses, and that was part of the temple worship. This particular one, Artemis, she had many breasts, and the legend was that she fell down from heaven, maybe through a meteorite coming down. And um, when I was in Ephesus, you know, they had a museum there, and yes, they had many reproductions and images of her that were found as they dug up the city. So as people would come, all these people streaming in and out of the city, they would purchase these idols. They would purchase these images, and that produced a very lucrative business for Demetrius and all of his craftsmen, right? But it wasn't just the money. It was that little religious hook, <laughs> propaganda, you got to find, you know, what's going to hook people? What's going to really get into them? Okay, verse 28. And when they heard this and were filled with rage, they began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius 
and Aristarchus. Okay, I, I made myself a note how to say his name. Aristarchus. Aristarchus. Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. So Demetrius is the instigator. This is what you usually have. You have someone who is an instigator, very skilled at getting the people stirred up and getting them into a mob mentality. And that's what I call the Christian theme park theory. That came from me. I made it up. I don't know if it's valid or not. But over the years, the last 25 years or so, I have watched this amongst friends and Christians and believers that there, there could be, it could be a new book that just came out. It could be certain prayers that everyone is supposed to say this prayer. And it's on every t-shirt and every bookmark and every poster and every mug. <laughs> and um, it could be certain movements in the church that everybody just says, oh, this is where it's at. This is the cutting edge. Unless you're doing ministry this way, you don't have any ministry at all. It could be church growth models that people put out there. How do we grow our church? Okay, I mean, don't get me started. But there are Christian, I call it a Christian theme park because it's kind of like if you go to a theme park, maybe um, some people have like yearly tickets to Disney World or something, and they go many times a year. And it's like, oh, they put in a new ride. Let's go ride that. We've never ridden that one before. And so everybody rides it. And then after a while, or you go back the next time, oh, look, they put in another ride. Let's ride that one. So everybody runs over to that one. Come on, guys, get on this ride. It's better than that ride. Or maybe you're tired of that ride, so you just want a new one. So that's why I call it the Christian theme park (laughs) theory that we can get caught up just as much as these people who worshipped Artemis uh, we can get caught up and be have an instigator say, this is where it's at. And everybody is soon running, even though they don't know why they're running. And that, gets, that actually gets pointed out right here in the scripture in a few verses. So I want to exhort us to examine, to just stop for a few minutes on a regular basis and say, is God doing something new here that he wants me to? to look into, to try, because he is always stretching us. And he is wanting to bring us into new things and and bring us out of our comfort zone um, and bring us to a new level. And maybe it's a a mission trip (laughs) that you've said, oh, I don't ever want to leave the country. And God is stretching you to do something new and adventurous and that requires faith. So we have to examine ourselves. Am I being led by the Holy Spirit? Is there, is there peace in this? Is there a, a calling from the Holy Spirit to um, open myself to things I've just been closed to? John talked about that on Wednesday. Just pastors who are so loving and kind and good to their congregation and solid in the world, in, in the Word, but they've been closed to the working of the Holy Spirit. So is God stirring your heart to say, it's just not enough. There's parts that I'm choosing parts and pieces of God I like and I'm sort of avoiding what makes me uncomfortable and the Holy Spirit's trying to get you to be more open. This is all good. But what we have to beware of is am I just jumping on a ride? <laughs> because somebody said, oh, oh, I read this book. You've got to read it too. Oh, oh, I started praying this prayer and all this stuff happened in my life so you've got to pray it every day too. Um, are we just following a crowd? Are we just joining the mob and we don't even know why? 
And then look what happens to one of Paul's companions. It says they dragged, they actually <laughs> dragged, that's the word, um, Gaius. Now, who's Gaius? Um, Gaius was a companion of Paul. Probably he was a delegate sent out by the church in Derby because Paul needed more help. He needed more workers in the ministry. And as he grew in the faith in Derby, he, he accompanied Paul on the second missionary journey. So it says they dragged um, Gaius and they dragged Aristarchus. Now this Gaius, um, he might be the same guy. There, there were other people named Gaius. He's not the only one. But he, some commentators think he's the same one that the, the Apostle John wrote his epistle to in the third epistle of John. Third John Verse 1 says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. These guys are kind of all, you know, crossing paths. And the Apostle John did end up in Ephesus. And that's where he spent his last days. So could have been the same Gaius. We don't know for sure. But they dragged <laughs> Gaius and the other worker, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, they just got caught up in the crowd and they couldn't they couldn't seem to swim against the tide, I guess, as everybody's rushing down. It really does go downhill. You start up at the government buildings, then the lavish homes, the baths, and it goes downhill. So, um, And they would have, every two years, they would have the Games of Artemis, which I guess was something like the Olympics. And... They would have great processions down that main street, and they would end up in the theater. So this was a pretty uh, common thing, I guess, for the for the Ephesians to just rush down that main street and head to the theater. <laughs> so these guys are whipped into the <laughs> frenzy, and they can't get out. So what's Paul going to do? This is very interesting. What's, it says in verse thir- thir- 30, And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly... He must have been a little ways off because he didn't get dragged in. So he was like, hey, let me in there. <laughs> he wanted to go um, address He wanted to go address them, you know. When Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. And also some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. If you watched our good friend, Pastor Gene Thomas, last Thursday, he was talking about Paul and his personality, and he was very funny. He said, Paul would do this, put him up, put him up. <laughs> Did you see that? Gene was great, put him up. Because Paul had a sort of confrontational nature, which would be required for somebody that went through so much persecution and so much opposition as Paul, and Jesus told him when he gave his call, he said, I will show him how much he must suffer. And he, he went into his call knowing it was going to be a fight. So he saw this going on, and he wanted to get in there. Um, <clears throat> the Asiarchs are political or religious officials for the province of Asia. These were men of high position, of wealth, of influence, and they were elected to promote the worship of the emperor. So, as we've said before, a culture could worship whatever god they wanted as long as they acknowledged that Caesar was god, Caesar was king. So they had to keep the Roman influence uh, still over the city. 
So Paul had friends in this highest circle of very important people. And they sent to him and said, repeatedly, it says, urged him not to venture into the theater. But Paul wanted to go into the theater and say, put him up, put him up. He wanted to address this mob. Um, I don't understand all of this that's happening, but I just thought, you know, as leaders, we can get very zealous. (laughs) We can get very passionate, and there's some fights we just need to stay out of. (laughs) Unless God is assigning you to that fight, just stay out of it. And we need to sometimes listen to those whom God puts around us to say, this isn't your battle. Um, We just can't wear ourselves out with every single battle because God's going to take care of it. We're going to see by the end of this chapter, he's going to use a guy who's not a believer at all, um, but he's going to calm down the crowd and he's going to just dismiss the crowd and say, everybody go home. (laughs) There's nothing to see. And... That's it. So Paul doesn't need to go fight this fight. And that's another part of discernment that the battle is the Lord's. And we need to know when we have to get in there and just contend earnestly for the faith. Where did that come from, John? It was a couple of years ago at Kindle the Flame. Jude. Jude. Yeah, contend earnestly for the faith. And there's other times when God says, I already have a way of working this out. Stay out of this battle. The battle is the Lord's. So thankfully, Paul had friends, just his disciples as well as those who were in elevated positions to say, Paul, stay out of this fight. I think we all need that. We need to be able to listen to those God who has put around us. Okay? So verse 32. (laughs) This is the one where I said, you've joined the mob. You're running to the next ride to ride it, and you don't even know why you're doing it. Listen to what it says here in the Word of God, verse 32. So then, some were shouting one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and the majority did not know for what cause they had come together. (laughs) It is. It's like humorous. The majority are rushing down the street, screaming and yelling, and the majority did not know what they were fighting for. Now, we believe in our country, we believe that protests can be good and right. You know, a protest that's based on values, the freedom to protest, addressing injustice, you know, our our right to free speech, that is good and right. But when it turns into rioting and violence, and most people don't even know why (laughs) they are looting and committing damage and hurting others and screaming out horrible things against other people and setting things on fire and whatever, just worked up into a mob mentality, that's of the devil. You need to know why you're protesting. You need to know, you know, they say, um, what, he who will stand for, how's it go? Uh, He who stands for Everything will stand for nothing. That might not be the quote. But we need to know what stand we take on things. We take a certain stand here at Rick Bonfam Ministries on abortion. We're against the killing of babies. And so to go and join a peaceful protest to say, please don't kill our babies, please save our babies, and you know that's coming from your heart and from the heart of God, um, that's a, it's great that we have that right in this country. 
But then things can just come straight from the devil to just work people up. And what was the what was the thing that started it? The love of money. Then came religious propaganda, and pretty soon people are so worked up they don't even know why they're rioting. And I hate to say it, but gosh, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. We would say, oh, that's terrible. How can these heathen people act that way? <sighs> there's nothing new under the sun. We, uh, I don't turn on the news these days, but if I did, I would be seeing the very same kinds of scenes. Today's culture is so charged, <laughs> and you, we can be so influenced and swept away into a way of thinking. You don't have to watch TV. You've probably got friends that are sending you YouTube videos every 15 minutes. And you, you wa- listen to a few of them, and pretty soon you're just like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, did you hear this and that? And you, you don't even know why or who you actually are mad at. You just know you're upset. Amen? Amen. <laughs> so the majority didn't know why they were so angry. They're just angry. <laughs> so, again, I want, to, I want to exhort you to ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. What is stirring you up? What is causing you to be filled with fear? What might you be listening to or watching or having conversations with people that's making you feel so angry, so resentful of others? If this has crept into your life, it's a sneaky thing of the devil that moves from a principle you have, a value that is dear to your heart, to anger and fear um, being your motivation, and and that's what we need to we need to discern and just check ourselves. Is it rooted in what's in the heart of God? Is it rooted in what's in the Word of God? That I see my country or I see my church or I see my children or whatever moving away from the Word of God, and I I protest that I say no no no. Um, is it is it rooted in the foundations of our faith? And basically, if it's true, Scripture already tells you. You know, you don't need a bunch of, and I'm not picking on YouTube, I'm just saying I get a lot of those. (laughs) So that's kind of a place where I get fed a lot of things. But there's a lot of things people are saying that I wouldn't have to listen to them if I'm paying attention to the Word, because it's what the Scripture already tells me. So check these things. Is it rooted in what's in the heart of God? Is it, is it rooted in what's in the word of God? Or are you getting agitated and overly influenced by other voices and even demonic influence that's just causing you angst and division between others, one person hurting another, falling out of friends? I, I just heard about that from a dear friend of mine not too long ago that she and a friend of 40 years had to just completely fall out because their political views just couldn't seem to be reconciled. And it's sad. Okay, so let's finish this. Verse 33. And some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander since the Jews had put him forward and having motioned with his hand, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. So they, were, they didn't know why they'd come together. So some said, oh, it must be this Alexander guy we need to listen to. They don't even know who's the leader of this thing. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from them all as they shouted for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. <laughs> 
when I was in this great um, theater in Ephesus, I could just imagine that scene filled with 25,000 people, and they're all screaming, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians for two hours. It's kind of like reminds me of the priests of Baal with Elijah in First Kings 18, where they're just jumping around and screaming and cutting themselves and just just in a frenzy, okay? So who is going to settle this down? Paul's friends have kept him out of it. Don't go in there. Alexander's been realized that he's a Jew and he's not the one they want to speak to him. So here comes this guy. I'd like to know what his name is. But his, he's the town clerk. <laughs> he's the town clerk. He's a very important local official, and he's kind of the go-between for Ephesus and the Roman authorities. He must have done a lot of filing of paperwork or, or scrolls, you know. He reported on the, the goings-on in Ephesus with the Roman authorities. And in order to stay in Rome's good graces, you had to stay within Rome's um, parameters, that your city was being run orderly, and so he doesn't want riots, he doesn't want violence, <laughs> he doesn't want looting and fires to cause problems with Rome. So he's going to come in and put an end to this. And he does. He quiets things down. So let's read to the end of the chapter. This is him speaking to this crowd at 25,000, which it's amazing when you go to these theaters um, back from the first century, they have these acoustics that are amazing. You can stand on a stage and be heard clear up in the nosebleed section because of the way they built them with the stone. So I can just imagine him standing there. And he says, in, starting with verse um, <clears throat> 35, And after quieting the multitude, the town clerk said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there after all who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis, and of the image which fell down from heaven. Since then, these are undeniable facts. You ought to keep calm and to do nothing rash, for you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. So then, if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session and proconsuls are available. Let them bring charges against one another going to stop and just observe, he's paid attention to find out what this is really about. Who really started this? Because most of the crowd did not even know for what charge they had come together. But he has done some investigating and he found out it started with an accusation that they were hurting, Paul and his companions were hurting the business of the craftsmen and blaspheming or slandering their great goddess. And he says, no. No, if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in the lawful assembly. For indeed, we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's affair, since there is no real cause for it. And in this connection, we shall be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. And after saying this, he dismissed the assembly. <laughs> Everybody go home, have supper, get out of here. So he... Um, he brings an end to it. So to us as believers, i got to wrap up here. I hope you've heard something out of this. Beware of the love of money, which is the root of all evil. Beware of the mob mentality that draws you into some cause and away from Jesus and the basics of our faith and will then draw you from effective ministry.
And I don't have time to read this, but I hope you might go to your Bible and read. Remember, Paul left Timothy at Ephesus. This is the place where Timothy had to be in charge of the church. He had a challenging call, perhaps why Paul wrote to Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Because this was a difficult city <laughs> to, to pastor and to lead the church. Amen? All right, we'll see you. Um, there's more coming after me, so stay tuned. Bye-bye. So amazes me To every generation He gives the joy of His salvation Oh, God's mercy So amazes me As I watch the world around me I can see His mighty hand Delivering his people from the evil in this land. The wounded and the broken hearted lift their voice in prayer.